Abbott's new COVID-19 test aims to paint a more complete picture of where patients are in their recovery, which could lead to more targeted treatments. And Southwest turns up the heat on United and American at O'Hare. Cranes reporter John Pletz joins the podcast today with more. What's happening in the, in the aviation industry is with demand so low, the airlines are experimenting with you know, their, their route networks. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Cranes Daily Gist. It's Tuesday, October 13th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Cranes reporter John Pletz here to talk about United and Southwest and O'Hare. So yesterday we learned that Southwest was not only going to continue flying out of Midway, but was going to be adding flights out of O'Hare. So immediately I'm thinking of the implications for the airport and the implications for other airlines, especially United, who has all the clout at at O'Hare. Tell me what you know. I mean, it's a, a huge move for for Chicago and, and for O'Hare, and it's definitely a competitive threat for United American. But Southwest is starting to reach the limits of what it thinks it can do at Midway, where it's been since 1985. And they surprised everybody yesterday when they said they were planning to expand to O'Hare. They haven't said exactly how many flights uh, that they're going to add. But for all the people, you know, uh, in the northern suburbs or sort of the, the outskirts who didn't want to drive to Midway, Southwest sees this as an opportunity to capture those customers. So Southwest move to O'Hare in many ways is another result of the COVID crisis. They have a lot of extra air air capacity right now. You know, they've got a lot of planes that are parked. They've got more planes coming on order. And so they have the opportunity to add some service out of of O'Hare, which, you know, they had been thinking about for a long time. And in fact, the discussions on this predate COVID. So this is just you know, another example of what's happening in the in the aviation industry is with demand so low, the airlines are experimenting with, you know, their, their route networks. Where do they fly? Uh, part of that is, you know, where do you fly to leisure destinations? You, you know, you go where the demand is. But another part of it is it's a good, it's a good opportunity for them to rethink and try some new markets that they wouldn't have been able to do when, you know, things are, are running normally at sort of full tilt. You know, you, you, you don't have either the aircraft or the crews or the gate space, you know, to maybe enter some new markets, you know, because, you, you know, your business is, is humming along. With the downturn, you're seeing a lot of experimentation going on, and this is an example of that. And do you have a sense of what routes will be flying out of O'Hare? Because suddenly that's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of business flying out of Chicago for Southwest. Absolutely. They had said that uh, largely it will likely be uh, a lot of the destinations that they already serve out of Midway. They don't plan to cut back their service out of Midway. So it's not likely that they're going to add a bunch of new destinations out of O'Hare that they're not already serving. And I think it really does come down to um, just what they said, which is they've surveyed their customers for years in Chicago, you know, which is depending on, on the season is either their busiest or second busiest hub. 
their passengers have consistently told them, we'd love to see something um, at O'Hare because it's just more convenient for them than driving to, to Midway. And that's what they're doing here. And so what does this mean looking down the road for the O'Hare expansion? It's good for the O'Hare expansion, which, you know, when they announced this a couple of years ago, the aviation industry was doing great, doing as well as it's done in decades. And, you know, COVID has obviously just devastated the airline industry. It, it sort of brings into question, you know, the pace of the expansion at O'Hare. They still say that they're they're going to push ahead with it. They're they're not so much building more terminals than replacing some seriously outdated infrastructure. But you know, the the middle of a uh, of a, just a terrible downturn in aviation hardly seems like the time to uh, really push ahead with an expansion. You know, full bore. Having Southwest come to the come to O'Hare is is a is a real benefit because you know Southwest is doing better than any of the airlines the way travel is likely to recover and it could take a couple of years to get back to anything approaching normal you know what's going to recover first is leisure travel and domestic travel and those are you know those are the strongest markets for Southwest so it helps the airport when you bring some demand that it it gives them a little confidence i think uh in, in pushing ahead with an expansion. So, you know, international travel is probably going to be down for a while, um, which had really been one of the key growth drivers in pushing for the expansion. So, so this, you know, this shores things up out there. If you're going to get a new airline to bring service to, to your airport, um, it's hard to imagine, you know, doing better than Southwest in terms of just their stability over time. And so do you expect then that United or American could launch some kind of strategic move to maybe prevent losing some market share to Southwest at O'Hare? I think they just basically have to up their game. And, you know, this isn't a completely new dynamic. You know, Southwest has been a big carrier in Chicago for over, you know, well over a decade. And so that competition has already been there here in Chicago. They help keep fares low, their performance keeps both the airlines on their toes. I think both American and United have made changes already largely in response to Southwest. They're probably going to just have to do more of that. It means your on-time performance continues to be really critical. Uh, the policies, such as um, the ones that United and others have adopted about uh, dropping ticket change fees in many cases, I think there's going to be continued pressure on that. That may be the bigger impact in terms of what they can do to keep them out. I don't think there's a lot they can do. They're going to have to up their game more than anything. Southwest isn't likely to turn O'Hare into a hub, you know. But if you're a traveler, uh, particularly if you're somebody who really likes Southwest for whatever reason, this is really good for you. And, you know, long term, it's just the kind of thing that, that allows Chicago to retain its status as one of the, you know, the true aviation hubs in the world. Because all the big carriers are here and, and competing and thriving. And that doesn't happen everywhere. Speaking of big carriers, Delta released some, some news this morning. They've lost more than $11 billion in the last two quarters and kind of a look ahead that echoes what I think a lot of other leaders in the aviation space are saying about how long of a recovery, what, what do you see from them? You know, COVID has just been worse 
can drag on longer than anybody expected. This is just, you know, this the latest example of that. You know, there's just no good news out there for the airline industry yet. You know, as long as the outbreaks continue, um, you know, until we get this in check, until you have widely available vaccines, there's not a lot of reason to believe that, that air travel is going to bounce back before that. No different than people returning to to offices in large numbers. And you saw that this morning from Delta, and it just said, you know, it's likely to be a couple of years. You know, a quarter ago, you know, Scott Kirby mentioned that he thought, you know, United would be lucky to get back to 50% revenue until there's a, a widely available vaccine. So it's more, you know, more confirmation of, of what people had had been suspecting but not really wanted to say, which is, you know, this, uh, <laughs> you know, this just isn't getting getting any better um, yet. And, and there's no telling, you know, when it's going to get better. And generally on the topic of aviation and recovery, Boeing put out a forecast saying not only do they expect to be making fewer planes, but they don't expect to see recovery until the 2030s, which which is a bit longer than what we've heard from other leaders in the aviation space. They had put out, you know, forecasts that they've been doing for years and just pushed out demand further, uh, further than they expected. You know, of course, they, they believe there will be continued uh, demand for air travel, but they sort of pushed out the time horizon on that because it's just clear that when you have a you know 50 60 percent um, or more drop in air travel, you know that just ripples through the entire industry. Um, you, you lose jobs, uh, plane orders get canceled, you know, and this wasn't the short blip that everybody was hoping for initially. You know, where it was they were expecting a very sharp decline and a very sharp rebound. Uh, you know, the the most optimistic forecasts were that this would be, you know, a few months and that things would be more or less back to normal by the end of the year. And it's just, you know, that's not going to happen. So you're, you're, you're starting to see the ramifications of that and the realities of that, uh, that I think everybody in the air travel industry is, is getting comfortable with, you know, we're going to hear from United and American later this week. So uh, stay tuned. Well, we will do just that. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Glad to do it. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, it's Pritzker versus Pritzker, as the governor's cousin Jennifer Pritzker donates 500000 to stop the governor's proposed fair tax, the latest move in one of the most expensive ballot initiatives in Illinois history. We'll talk more about that and other stories right after this. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. This is the Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Abbott Labs is launching a new blood test that aims to help doctors better treat patients recovering from COVID-19 by determining more recent infections. The North Chicago medical device maker's other antibody tests aim to show whether patients were exposed to the novel coronavirus based on infection-fighting proteins in their blood. But this latest test, which Abbott just announced was authorized for emergency use by the FDA, is designed to detect antibodies that last only weeks or months after infection. A statement from the company says that painting a fuller picture of where patients are in their recovery 
recovery helps healthcare providers figure out if treatment, isolation, or follow-up visits are needed. And Abbott's data demonstrated 99.5% specificity, which is correctly getting a negative result, and 95% sensitivity, which is correctly getting a positive result for patients tested 15 days after symptoms started. The new COVID test is Abbott's seventh to get emergency use authorization. The other tests include molecular tests that are used to detect infection in real time. As patio season wraps up, many of those running Chicago restaurants say that winter could severely impact the city's service industry even further. Since the pandemic first hit the sector, restaurant landlords have had to decide between deferred rent or prolonged vacancies. And alcohol and food suppliers have reported losses, and almost 500 of Cook County's more than 13,000 restaurants have closed between June 1st and September 20th, according to restaurantdata.com. But as colder weather approaches, the potential for further losses looms large. The Illinois Restaurant Association reports that the city has more than 170,000 restaurant and hospitality jobs, and now those jobs are at stake, as is the 3% of the area's economic output that came from the industry last year, according to data from World Business Chicago. And in many cases, survival comes down to the individual restaurant. Some have more space, others cut deals with landlords, and many have added delivery and other kinds of revenue streams. But nationwide, 55% of restaurants say they won't survive the next six months if current business conditions continue, according to the National Restaurant Association. Kumar Venkataraman, a partner at consulting firm McKinsey, said sit-down restaurants must come up with a new business model if they want to stay afloat. But it's not just a matter of seating capacity, as not all diners are comfortable eating inside either. A June survey from McKinsey found that 80% of consumers were anxious about dining in. Plus, social distancing guidelines prevent smaller spaces from reaching their allotted capacity. Carryout, drive-through, and delivery orders were up 20% at U.S. restaurants in August compared to 2019. That according to research firm NPD Group. Though on-premise dining orders were down 60% in August, they had improved from a 91% decline in April. Restaurants have gotten some help. There were Paycheck Protection Program loans and other grants, including one that DoorDash recently announced to help restaurants shoulder winter. Many operators hung their hopes on federal aid, though, which doesn't appear to be coming soon. The city, for its part, will do what it can to give restaurants, quote, a fighting chance, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said at a news conference October 8th. She said she's confident the dining scene will rebound, but that the industry, which plays a vital role in the city's economy, needs help. Foxconn Technology Group's request for tax credits from Wisconsin for a factory was rejected by the state, which said the electronics manufacturer fell far short of the promises it made three years ago for the proposed $10 billion plant. In a letter to the company on Monday, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation wrote that Foxconn is not producing the large-sized TV display panels outlined in the original contract, hadn't invested the pledged amount in the plant, and failed to employ even the minimum number of people needed to get the subsidies. Foxconn, also known as Hanhai Precision Industry, announced the high-profile deal in July 2017 with President Trump. The leading iPhone manufacturer also promised to bring 13,000 factory jobs to Wisconsin in exchange for billions in government subsidies. And at a groundbreaking in June 2018, President Trump touted the proposed factory as, quote, the eighth wonder of the world. The state agency said that under the deal, Foxconn was required to invest $3.3 billion and create more than 2,000 full-time jobs by the end of 2019. 
Instead, the manufacturer employed fewer than the minimum required 520 workers and invested roughly $300 million. That, according to the agency's review. Missy Hughes, the secretary of the State Economic Development Agency, said in a letter to the company, quote, once Foxconn is able to provide more accurate details of the proposed project, such as its size, scope, anticipated capital investment, and job creation, WEDC would be able to offer support for the project with tax incentives as it does for many large and small Wisconsin businesses. Governor J.B. Pritzker's cousin, Colonel Jennifer Pritzker, has donated half a million dollars to the group campaigning against the governor's proposed fair tax. According to State Board of Elections records, the $500,000 donation from Colonel Pritzker to the group Coalition to Stop the Proposed Tax Hike Amendment landed with three weeks until Election Day. Pritzker, CEO of private wealth management firm Tawani Enterprises and a retired Army lieutenant colonel, has a net worth of $1.9 billion, according to Forbes. A former Trump supporter who's also given to libertarian causes, Pritzker donated $200,000 to Joe Biden's campaign. Locally, she's also donated to Republican Attorney General hopeful Erica Harold, former Governor Bruce Rauner, and to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. The coalition has raised just under $50 million since July. However, the Vote Yes for Fairness Committee raised roughly $55 million in the same period, but is almost entirely funded by an infusion from Governor Pritzker. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's reporter, John Pletz. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right Right back here next time.